welcome to Origins, a podcast about the money behind the money. This podcast is created by Notation, a first check venture capital firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We invest in amazing technical teams and projects in New York City on day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. This season of Origins is sponsored by Cooley and Silicon Valley Bank. Cooley LLP is the global law firm for tech, life sciences, and other high-growth industries. It's the world's most active venture capital law firm in forming funds and completing investments. We've worked with Cooley since the very beginning. They've helped us form both notation funds. We recommend them to all the startups that we work with and many of our VC peers as well. Learn more about the firm and check out its dedicated site for startups and investors at cooleygo.com. Silicon Valley Bank is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors with a dedicated practice for emerging managers. They've been friends and partners to Notation since the beginning. To learn more about SVB services, visit svb.com. Sarah Anderson is a managing director at the Centrifuge Syndicate Fund. And Emily Geiger is a VP of Big Co Innovation at Centrifuge and a managing director of Spry Labs. Centrifuge is a public-private partnership established to drive the next phase of growth for the greater Cincinnati area. Centrifuge combines a unique strategy of people, startup founders, funds, and big companies, all working together to create a stronger tech presence in Cincinnati. I'm here with Sarah Anderson and Emily Geiger from Centrifuge. Welcome. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having us. So I'm going to interview uh, each of you kind of in sections so that it's a little easier to follow. So Sarah, mm-hmm. I'm going to start with you. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you came to Centrifuge? Sure. So um, I have my backgrounds in finance primarily. Um, I was with investment banking for a while. I was at RBC and their internet and digital media group. Okay. In San Francisco, yep, um, out of business school, so uh, and I was there for a little while, and then moved over to J.P. Morgan, doing exactly the same thing, just okay. a different clientele. Okay, and so we worked with a lot of tech companies on all different financial products, IPO, M and A, um, private placements, etc. Um, and after that, um, moved to Cincinnati in 2012, and Centrifuge was just. For- being launched because you wanted to move to cincinnati or for, for love. this role really mm. that's a good reason my husband's from cincinnati that's a good reason yep it's a great reason okay <laughs> and two kids later it's still a great mm-hmm. reason right mm-hmm. um so moved to cincinnati in 2012 so you moved without necessarily knowing what the next role would be Mm-mm. okay no um in fact i was looking for something that was more directly in line with banking. I right. loved the transactions. I right. loved the deal flow. I loved working with companies. Um, but Cincinnati doesn't mm-hmm. have a huge investment banking community, right? So the timing was fantastic because Centrifuge was just getting launched. So Centrifuge launched in December of 2012 and we moved in March of 2012, right? Oh, wow. Okay. So in looking at, you know, this new entity and what they were forming, it was a really great fit for me because there's a lot of very passionate young dreamers that we call entrepreneurs, right? Yep. 
there was corporations that were setting this up that were interested in the next wave of innovation, which was largely tech. Um, and they were forming a fund, which I had a lot of experience diligencing, managing, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. um, how did you meet them? Cincinnati is a really small community. Okay. Yeah, I think okay. you know the Cincinnati financial community is very close, and um, once you meet one person, you kind of meet fifty. Okay. And so, you know, just through networking and talking to different people and understanding where are the growth opportunities, I ran into Centrifuge probably five or six times. Oh wow! Okay. During who, that who period. started? Who who? How did it start? Who led the way? So, like, who did you meet first there? Cincinnati. Uh, who did I meet first at Centrifuge? Yeah. Um, well, so so the genesis of Centrifuge is actually a really interesting story. Um, Centrifuge was started. We often get this question of, you know, how did you get all the corporations to right. be so right. involved in innovation? We can't seem to get that because we talked to a lot of different regions and they have the same question. Well, the corporations formed us, right? The corporations were the one that sat in a room together and said, we need an entity like Centrifuge because we need to grow our own economy and our own dirt, right? We need talent. We need to stay competitive. We need to know and have eyes and ears on innovation and what's happening in new industries, right? And we have a lot of startups here that are trying to grow, little seeds that we're trying to water. And we don't have any experts. We don't have any capital to kind of help them do that. So they set up Centrifuge as the one-stop shop to help those companies grow, scale, and mature yep. through both risk capital, right? So through the the investors that we're investing in, and then also through the corporations who then become their customers. What is Centrifuge? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should have probably started there. Yeah, yeah. What is Centrifuge? Because it is it is unique and very different compared to a lot of the other more traditional LPs that we've interviewed on Origins. Um, so could you give us the super high level on how you describe it as a firm? So or even if, what do you just, is it a firm? Uh, it's an organization. An organization. Yeah, okay. more so. Um, so Centrifuge is a, a resource for entrepreneurs. Okay. So we help entrepreneurs find funding. We help entrepreneurs find customers. We help entrepreneurs grow and scale their businesses. So wherever there's a gap in the entrepreneur's journey, we are built to fill that gap. Is that specific to Cincinnati? It is right now. Okay. Yes. Um, But notably, I think the success of the Centrifuge model has lent itself to other cities and other regions being very interested in what we're doing. Okay. Um, I'm going to come back to Centrifuge in a second. Um, Emily, hi. Hey there. How's it going? Um, could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you came to Centrifuge? Sure. Um, I landed at Centrifuge um, walking back into my history as an entrepreneur who was looking to bridge the experiences I had in a startup with some of the same experiences and I would call them challenges that I had at big companies. Mm-hmm. So my my first career was in banking, like Sarah, in a commercial investment banking. And then um, went back- In Cincinnati? In, in Chicago and in Cincinnati. Chicago. okay. Um, and went back to uh, school to focus more on growth and the building component of mm-hmm. finance. So- um, 
after school, I worked with Abbott and in their M&A and then on kind of the bleeding edge of their e-commerce businesses mm-hmm. and in brands. So more on the consumer side. Um, worked at a couple of other small companies, smaller middle market companies in corporate venture building um, roles. And sure. then most recently at a startup um, that was an aftermarket supply for healthcare supplies. Okay. Okay. And what brought you to Centrifuge? So in 2016, Centrifuge was evaluating um, growth markets in places that were kind of untapped uh, places to do work. Um, we have a very strong healthcare base in our in our um, region, and we had not tapped any way of working with them. So we set up what we call a venture building lab that had served at its um, onset healthcare organizations who were trying to rapidly build new solutions mm-hmm. that were kind of self-disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, the point of the venture building lab was that we had a lot of corporations who were interested in doing that and there wasn't a shared resource or a go-to right. shop in town to do that. So what we did was put together what we call venture builders or entrepreneurs in transition or corporate expats who were interested in building new business models or new value propositions and paired them with big company problems or market-oriented problems, uh, challenges they couldn't solve with their current processes. And so we started as a um, innovation as a service shop to okay. help build new value propositions and, and sub-companies, you'd say, but um, have evolved into what we call venture building, which is building entirely new companies yep. alongside the big companies. Um, and you run that part. It's called, I believe it's called Spry Labs, but it's a part of Centrifuge. That's right. Okay. That's right. So How Spry are those Labs, deals structured? Sure. Um, the Spry Labs venture deals are initially sponsored by a big company who understands there's a market opportunity. They uh, throw in some what we call MVP money, and we put together a dream team of subject matter experts or builders who kind of have the juices to do that over and over again. We call that our bench. Um, The big companies then evaluate what that uh, first look at an MVP looks like. We generally market test it and pressure test it pretty hard with a set of rigorous processes, and then um, go back to the company and say, hey, we want to build this company and um, you can be an early investor in it or you can be the first customer mm-hmm. and um, essentially we we bootstrap that that's cool. startup that's cool there's a there's a firm here we haven't had them on the on the podcast but maybe we will um called prehype that yes. does some kind of uh, similar yes. similar stuff with with big companies yes. here that's really really interesting and they've incubated a few companies here that's like right. managed by q and Barkbox right. and a few others um so i like that model Sarah, so Centrifuge's mission is to work with and help entrepreneurs in Cincinnati today, um, maybe other ecosystems in the future, which you kind of alluded to. Um, From a structural standpoint, what does that mean and how did Centrifuge get started and what does the structure of the the organization look like? Because it's it's a for-profit no, Endeavor? no, it's a good question. Okay. So, um, our parent company is a nonprofit okay. operating company. Got it. So they raise capital um, through 
owners philanthropy, right? Okay. And that nonprofit supports entrepreneurs. Okay. Underneath that nonprofit parents is a for-profit fund of funds. Okay. So the for-profit fund of funds is a completely separate pool of capital. Okay. Um, but it is a wholly owned subsidiary of the operating company. Okay. A lot of tr- a lot of overlap with the same kind of base of corporations between the operating company and the fund of funds. Okay. But separate budgets. Okay. If that makes sense. It it does, I think, but it, explain it a little bit deeper. So there so there's a a nonprofit parent, right? Funded by a big corporate multiple big corporates yeah a bunch of different and can you name some of the companies yeah, yeah. so so you'll find PNG Kroger okay. Fifth Third PNC okay. EY okay um Mercy Health Got it. Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And that's to support entrepreneurship and founders in Cincinnati and also bridge the gap between those big companies and others and young startups in Cincinnati. Exactly. Um so tell me about the fund of funds piece. So the fund of funds is a um, uh, early Which stage. Which is the piece that you focus on, correct? Right, right, yeah. right, right. So yeah. I, my day-to-day is managing that pool of capital, yep. working both with our LPs, a lot of the corporations that Emily yep. was talking about, and then also our GPs. Okay. Um, so it's a fund of fund structure that focuses exclusively on early stage venture. And we define that as looking at mostly Series A, okay. some seed, some B, but that's more opportunistic than anything. Okay. So the core of what we do is we look at Series A early stage capital, um, a lot of emerging managers. And what we're looking for is really kind of three things. So obviously, you know, performance is a big factor. Um, getting returns to our shareholders is priority number one. It's a for-profit entity. <laughs> right. and, those, and those returns go back to the nonprofit entity that's the holding company that can invest it in other things no those returns go back to our investors okay yeah so our investors like png kroger cincinnati financial um children's hospital cincinnati bell etc cetera, etc cetera, they've invested capital in us when we get returns from exits that it goes directly back to them got it and they're but they're also a part of and invested in the larger centrifuge ecosystem yes okay so they've doubled down got it yeah got it um so we we look for three things in, in the managers that we select, right? It's really like trying to find a needle in the haystack for the most part. The returns piece is uh, prominent yep. um, in our priority stack. Um, we also look for managers that will engage with us, right? Okay. So that by no means means having a presence or making an investment in our region, but it means engaging with our investors, like our corporations, yep. engaging with our entrepreneurs, right, our startups, or engaging with our partner organizations, right, um, like accelerators we have in town or other seed funds we have in town, things like that. Yep. So we're looking for that um, puzzle piece. And then the third one. What does that mean and how do you define that? Does that mean that, you know, they're looking for X partnerships per year with certain companies? Does that mean they're like coming into town and doing you know, uh, events, you know, is not prescriptive on purpose Okay, because every fund has different shape, size, focus area, structure, ability to travel, you know, things like that. So, um, we work with the managers that we have invested in, 
before we invest to kind of identify what that might look like for them. Okay. Because it's meant to be mutually beneficial, right? We want our managers first and foremost to do what they do best. And that's picking out great investments. Yep. Um, and if there's a way we can help them do that through deal flow from Cincinnati or through working with some large corporations with their portfolio companies, then that's kind of how we want to structure it. Um, and following on to that, the the third thing that we really look for is, you know, um, a link to our corporations. So remember, we're trying to help our corporations get access to innovation. Mm -hmm. A lot of that looks like um, B2B enterprise um, types of technologies. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at a portfolio that focuses more heavily in that area than would focus in like consumer or life sciences or, you know, other areas. So, um, and, and that's pretty readily available you know we have you know ai data analytics um vr things like that are really important to our corporations so we're looking for managers that have a focus area there right among other things so like blockchain right that's becoming an emerging focus area for our corporations and something Mm -hmm. that they're really trying to get educated on so looking for managers that have expertise in those categories there are i imagine there's similar programs to centrifuge in other cities um, to support entrepreneurship in those areas. I mean, New York City, for example, has a bunch of different efforts from the city to support um, technology and entrepreneurship here. They don't have a fund of funds. Right. So I'm curious how that specific part of the centrifuge strategy came to be and how it fits with the larger mission and goals of of the organization. So um, there are, and a that's lot- not to diminish the efforts of of you know the 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 the, um, the work of Centerviews broadly, but I've just never seen a fund of funds attached to one of these organizations. Yeah, <laughs> and it's brilliant. Like the fund of funds really is the centerpiece of everything that we do. It provides so much leverage in the system that we would not have had otherwise. How? So if you think about. Um, Risk capital, for instance, right? They could have taken fifty-seven million. So our first fund was fifty-seven million. Okay, right. Our founding fathers, which are the corporations in Cincinnati, they could have taken that fifty-seven million. Said we're going to invest that directly into sure. startups, in, right? in strategic companies that we think are interesting. And you see a lot of that today with a lot of these big companies starting either VC arms or strategic investing. Right, and you right. also see a lot of state-funded funds. Yep, that are doing that. Yep. Um, and there was a um, purposeful structural change in the fund of funds concept because while we invest 57 million in managers outside of the region, those managers may invest in a company in Cincinnati, but it's not just their check that's getting written, right? It's the entire syndicate that comes in around them. Mm-hmm. And now right. instead of having one check that we may have written when we're already in the region right you have four that were written from outside of the region that are now coming yep there four times a year for board meetings or however often and getting more involved and getting more engaged and so that's the type of organic growth that they envisioned Mm -hmm. that we're seeing happen is this in lieu of so does that mean those companies are less interested in making direct investments in startups and starting their own strategic venture arms and they're essentially, you know, outsourcing it to Centrifuge or do those things the corporations? Go along? Yeah. Yeah. Or do those things kind of 
Uh, are they complementary to one another if they do have a corporate venture arm? I mean, I think, I guess my question is like, historically, there are there are many folks that don't speak particularly kindly of corporate venture. Absolutely. Um, and historically <laughs> yeah. has not performed particularly right. well. Right. So is this also... Uh, you know, maybe a different take on on corporate venture, and does it does it is it a substitute to what they would typically consider their corporate venture arm? Um, probably not a substitute, but more of a complement. Okay. Um. So, and and I think different corporations would answer this very differently, right? Because right? we've gotten feedback on both sides of the coin. On one side, we supercharge a corporate venture strategy. Okay. Right. We provide access both breadth and depth to the process of corporate venture. Um, they can date before they get married, um, which some corporations really like and appreciate. Yep. yep. And that would be the complementary side of what we do. Now, some corporations have also told us, hey, look, you know, we have a venture arm and it's what we're good at. It's what we like doing. And so this doesn't make too much sense for us. Um, and a lot of larger corporations. And you're like, sure you are. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm <laughs> sure. Comment. Um, I mean, in some ways, it's very true. A lot of right. larger corporations have so much deal flow they can't they can't take anymore. They don't have the internal resources yep. to filter through that. Yep. So um, it depends on the the situation that the corporation is in. How we would fit into that innovation strategy. Got it. Um, so you're. Uh, how long has the Fund of Funds piece been up and running? So we were launched in December of 2012. Okay. Um, we have fully invested Fund One, fully yep. committed Fund One. Yep. And we're investing in a Fund Two now. Okay. Which has been announced? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our first close was in June of last year. Okay. And how big is that fund? Um, we're on 34. Okay. And we'll be working towards about 60. Okay. It's same companies or new companies? Mostly the same, yeah. But we have several new, like Mercy uh, is a new okay. LP in Fund okay. Two. Okay. Um, Miami University is a new LP in Fund yep. Two. So we have a lot of new ones. You work with firms like Upfront and TechStars and uh, Lair Hippo here in here in New York. I know you mentioned you look for those three things. You've invested pretty broadly throughout the country. It seems is that is that also intentional? I assume. Yeah. Purposeful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's just to get more broad interest across the U.S. to be part of the portfolio and part of the Cincinnati story? and um, I think it's important for a few reasons. Okay. Um, one, we don't we want geographical diversity, right? Just period as a good investment strategy. Right. right. Yeah, okay. we don't want to be overexposed yep. in Boston or overexposed yep. in L.A., um, but we also need to see what's coming out of those ecosystems, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, when there's a lot of VR happening in New York, our corporations want to know about it and they want to see it. Right. So we need that kind of geographical eye. And I think it's been helpful. We have a lot of investments too throughout the Midwest, like Houston and Boulder and Salt Lake. Um, so it's interesting to see what's coming out of those ecosystems as well. Do you do any direct investing out of the out of the fund of funds? Tiny. Tiny bit. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. You've been at Centrifuge for five years? Six years, five and a half. Okay, and now on fund two, I'm 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 curious. Um, just <laughs> too long. At you know, <laughs> um, just you personally. Is this the first time that you've invested in funds? I mean, this this you know compared to previous 
jobs at JP Morgan and um, RBC. Yeah, writing yeah. checks to managers yes. for sure. Yeah, I've yeah. worked with managers for a long time, but writing checks into them, this is the first four. What are some of the biggest learnings for you personally over the last five years, six years? Um, you know, one of the things that I learned early on is there's a lot that goes into thoughtful portfolio construction, right? So we look at deal flow a lot, right? Mm-hmm. What's their network? How mm-hmm. good is their deal flow? But I've seen that go awry based on just bad portfolio construction. Right. Um, and I think a lot of it, one of the things that we look for now when we're working with our managers is, you know, what is their true north? What really is going to create long-term growth within the partnership? Um, these are long-term relationships. And so when we go in, we want to make sure we're going in not just for one fund and done, but yeah. for multiple funds. Um and finding that true north and making sure we're aligned as well with that manager's true north is something that we all have to agree on at the outset. Because where I've seen managers go wrong, and I haven't been doing this nearly as long as some others in my field yep. um, that I really respect a lot, uh, where this goes wrong is when that that true north kind of gets falls by the wayside because the industry changes, right? The industry shifts one way, and so you kind of drop your focus areas and yep. you go you go with the crowd yep. and that's not good yep so are there things that are a focus for you as an lp individually today that maybe weren't the top items on your mind five or six years ago when you're starting you know and i and i'm that could be like you know yeah. like certain questions you ask managers or you know maybe certain ways that you diligence um in ways today that maybe you didn't six years ago yeah i think coming out of the gate i was very data oriented analytical okay. like historical returns oh, yeah. irr right yeah yeah right. yeah um check sizes yeah. trends and check sizes yeah. you know like, and what i've learned is there's so many qualitative factors that really make a difference hmm. right partnership yep. passion of the partnership yep. right how invested are they in what they're doing how are they working with the entrepreneurs? What's their reputation? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and, and those I, are things I imagine that are indicative of future performance rather than... Yeah, leading indicators. Than, right, right. For sure. Whereas yeah. a lot of the data is... Lagging. Obviously, right. And, right. and it's hard, too, when you're looking at data that's 10 years old... Yeah. ...to think that that is going to predict the way that this current partnership is going to yep. perform. Yep. I think if you look at the leading indicators of, you know the way the partners invest, the way they think about investing, there's a lot you can learn just from sitting in the room with a team, right? And those have been some of my very, my, my fastest diligence periods have been just sitting in the room with a team, talking to them and getting a feeling for how they want to operate their fund. Yep, yep. So Emily, you, you focus mainly on working with your big company partners and LPs and connecting the dots you know, between them and obviously a lot of the startups and founders right. that you work with in Cincinnati. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how that broader centrifuge ecosystem works? Sure. I think we have a good sense now of like the the structure of center, centrifuge. So trying to understand, you know, operationally day to day, how you connect the dots between big companies and startups. Sure. So the unfair advantage that we try to give our entrepreneur starts with market 
demand. And I'll, I'll bring that back to the fund in a second. So starting with big companies and understanding their most intimate priorities as a, as a growth strategy or an innovation right. strategy and distilling that into specific needs briefs, um, calls for innovation, events focused on those areas. And um, who are those people inside the company? Is so that, is it, that it chief ranges. innovation officer? Yeah. Are those like heads of divisions? Is that the CEO? Who is that? Right. So I think that edict comes from the CEO okay. and the board yep. to produce a certain level of growth yep. or reduce cost because that's another driver, yep. right? And we call our primary contacts in companies and they take different flavors. Mm -hmm. They could be chief innovation officer. Mm -hmm. We have a, a contact that is a, a, a chief risk officer. Yep. And so they play around with mm. the level of risk and where the growth comes from. I yep. think that's pretty interesting. But we really like to be with the people who own the P&Ls okay. who are in charge of growth okay. within right. business units. Um, that is where the most uh, speed and focus comes from. So um, mapping or you know getting integrated with your client and knowing ho who those folks are is really super important to start with the market demand for software and for yep. new business models. Yep. It's kind of a weird question, but do you compete with like McKinsey, for example, for like, like, are they working with, I assume some of them are, these big companies are working with outside consultants that are sure. trying to figure out new ways to grow. Are you, sure? are you, would you be, would you be a substitute for folks like that? So I think that another way of putting that is what can be, re, what can we as a small scrappy shop of less than 20 people be good at? Right. And that is leveraging what we call an active network, okay. which is startups, yep. it is um, fund managers, it is big companies, and finding the most uh, efficient and kind of powerful way to connect the dots. And so when you have that active net network strategy, you're working kind of at the bleeding edge, and your information's fresh, and it's ugly, and it's, you know— yeah. not all the way put together. And that's what gives us an advantage to get new companies in front of our big co-partners Yep, and, um, and also bring them to the right place in the right time. And are you, when you, when you, when you think about um, bridging the gap between, you know, your big company partners and startups, are you doing that for, startups in Cincinnati and also your broader portfolio of companies through the fund of funds, through managers in the centrifuge portfolio. Yeah. So we've operationalized like what, what is your that, universe of startups? Sure. Look like? Sure. It it's in the end it's global. Okay. But um, you know, the people you see every day are the people who you end up working with a yeah. lot. Um, we have to be especially deliberate about bringing our fund portfolio startups into town and act, you know, activating them regularly. And then even the uh, managers that we're not invested in are often very fruitful sources of hmm. interesting new companies. Mm -hmm. So um, Sarah's got a broad breadth of relationships there that our team taps regularly to get that done. Yep. What, what's the pitch to, on the other side of the equation, what is the typical pitch to startups? So the startups... For the startups, you know, your your hair's on fire building a company and setting up your own operational 
processes and growing and getting in front of customers and figuring out what works. So it's really hard to do business with big companies. Right. Right. It's, it's slow. It's cumbersome. It, it's, it, it's confusing. You get a lot of mixed signals. Yeah. So our pitch to startups is we have developed what we call the brackish or the space where startup uh, speed is appreciated by big mm. companies. Mm. And so we, we curate that. So when a startup engages with a big company through kind of the, the series of tools we bring, data jams, uh, calls for innovation, innovation brief writing, yep. um, those are the most efficient way you can work with a big company partner in our yeah. in our region. Yeah. And it's extended outside the region too. Um, so we're hyper-focused on giving that startup an unfair advantage going into a contract yeah. with a big company, yeah. even to the point where we have coached big companies on their procurement processes and paying them in 30 days mm. versus 120 mm. So That's this is cool. the difference between a startup getting right. paid right. and and having to raise you know a bridge round or doing no. business right. with them. Right. So that's the most efficient um, way. And I'd also say that relationships do matter. And so the um, the ability for us to walk a startup into the right person mm -hmm. and there's mm -hmm. a baseline of trust that we can bring to the table with those two makes us an honest broker, and could, that's good too. Could you give us um? Maybe one or two examples of uh, like specific stories where you've where you've bridged that that um, gap between a startup and a big sure, company. Sure, sure. So um, some of the most efficient have been kind of a um, many to many events where we take a big company's problem, let's say an insurance company's problem, and um, let's say that they can't uh, they they have problems with a the clarity and the speed of their data and their own business models, and they need to scan the market for solutions. Yep. And so they're sitting with us in uh, design sessions and saying, should we build this? Should we buy it? Should we partner? And the some of the most effective uh, things and tools we've created are um, open events or data jams where we we sort the problem out into a format that a, a startup can get inspired by. And sometimes they're preformed startups. Those are my mm -hmm. favorite cases. Um, a team comes in and, and kind of absorbs a brief or a challenge, um, competes against eight to seven or seven to eight different companies mm -hmm. um, publicly mm -hmm. against each other. And then um, what we found is that big companies, because they sorted the problem or the market problem at the front end are able to go to a proof of concept with the winning right. startup within weeks. Right. Um, when an enterprise sales cycle is 12 to 18 yep. months and you can get a proof of concept done in six to eight weeks. I mean, I go for that contract all day long. Right. Right. Um, that's, that's a good success story. And then on a day-to-day -day basis where we've got a, a rigorous process for sorting briefs and sending them out through the, the funds networks and, uh, yep. GPs yep. to get that done. So um, if you go to the Centrifuge site, there's like this amazing collection of uh, people uh, associated with the startup um, community in Cincinnati, um, including like the mayor <laughs> um, is on the site. Um, I'm curious, uh, um, you know, in the, in the time that Centrifuge has um, started and grown, um, 
it sounds like it's been clearly impactful for the companies there and for lots of the startups. Um, have how do you define impact for the city or community more broadly? Um, is that something you think about? Is that something that I mean? Obviously, the the mayor cares about, um, and I guess to a certain degree, if the big companies there are doing well, then that has an impact. Um, yes. But are there other ways in which you define Centrifuge's impact on the community over the last six or seven years? And is it like, um, is it is it a, a a model that other cities could replicate? Over sure. Time? So at like we're we are kind of a new age economic development tool, right? Right. And you know, grounded with a very sophisticated financial tool and the mm-hmm. the Centrifuge Syndicate Fund. That's a part of our secret sauce. I would say, like other economic development models, we're measured by the jobs we create. Okay. And the talent that we bring in or retain. Yep. And the uh, companies that get capital and hire more people and the virtuous cycle continues. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting ways we're looking at the the measurement models are um, a little bit more technical around our talent base. Um, Spry Labs, our venture building lab, has a bench of about 150 folks who are, mm. you know, experts at their craft right. um, between startups. And so um, building that bench creates what we call a leading indicator called net new nerds in the <laughs> region. Net and we're new nerds. Net so new like triple, so triple N. Yeah, that's yeah, a really N, important N-cute. one. Yes. Nice. Um, we think that uh, I was as a organization, we have had to start the kindling with a lot of activity. And now we're pushing um, our measure- measurements or our KPIs towards impact. Mm-hmm. So uh, speed and the size of contracts, sizes we can get for the startups, mm-hmm. the number of companies we build out of Spry Labs mm-hmm. as kind of new organic growth out of this organization are really important. Yeah. So speed and impact is where we'll kind of lean toward, including what we can do with our fund as a like the principal tool we can leverage there. Sure. Um, Centrifuge's been up and running for six years. Uh, you're, you're investing out of uh, Syndicate Fund 2, which is the fund of funds. Um, I'm curious uh, how, you, um, how you imagine centrifuge evolving over time um i think you alluded to the fact that maybe you know you might operate other centrifuges um in other cities over time um i'm curious how you think about now that it feels like it's working and there's momentum behind it in cincinnati how you think about scaling that whether that's in cincinnati or abroad right so um one of your earlier questions was around how did we think about the fund of funds Right. How was that created? Why right. was that created as part of the structure? Right. And there's a there's a model for this. It's called the Renaissance Early Stage Venture Capital Fund, which is in Michigan. Okay. Which operates throughout the entire state of Michigan. Okay. Right. So it's not assigned like we're assigned to a region. They're covering an entire state. And I think one of our visions around centrifuge. So the model is definitely something that can be scaled can be deployed in other regions, can be emulated. Yep. Um, you know, as far as the fund of funds is concerned, what we've seen, you know, it's almost like a marketplace model. There's a supply side and there's a demand side when you're working with startups and corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And one of the things that we are exploring currently is expanding the model to the entire state of Ohio. Got it. Right? Yeah. Um, there is also significant interest from corporations outside of Ohio. Mm-hmm. And so we're working on exploring that demand as well. And when you think about the nature of a strategic fund of funds and what we can bring to a corporate innovation process, there's a lot of corporations. I think one of the common denominators that we hear often from investors and corporate partners that we work with is we're changing our innovation structure. We're changing our growth strategy. We're changing, right? It's the nature of innovation to change, especially Mm -hmm. when you're in a corporation and you're focused on the internal machinations of your machine to constantly think that you're not doing as well as your neighbor, right? And so one of the things that we come to the table with having worked with corporations for five, six years now around their growth strategies is a best practices model for corporations that may be in different steps of their growth spectrum, right, for innovation, And that's really attractive to corporations that are looking for new and novel ways to innovate. Mm -hmm. So we're talking to a lot of other corporations outside of Ohio. And so I think, you know, the vision for Centrifuge and the vision for the fund is to expand our footprint, right? We had a really great beta test in Cincinnati, and I think we will continue to really double down on our efforts there. But we're going to have to expand our footprint beyond that. And the demand is there for that. I'm curious to to know how you think about the current environment um, in a slightly more macro lens, particularly maybe the word on the street from some of the larger companies as well. Obviously been through a 10-year bull run now. Um, times are good. There's a lot of money in the venture market and the startup market broadly. I'm curious to understand how you think about it, particularly through the lens of being in Cincinnati uh, in the Midwest, and also through the lens of some of maybe your corporate partners that you work with? So um, one of the themes we hear a lot is that we're getting disrupted. We need to innovate. Okay. Okay, so those are really sexy words. Yep. But what do they really mean? Yep. Right? And when you drive down into it, there's a lot of corporations out there that know they need to do something, but they don't know what to do. Right? And it's tough. When you've been driving a barge for the past hundred years, and now you're going to have to shift directions, and in some cases shift directions 90, 180 degrees, that's hard. And these are industries like, I mean, insurance, insurance, CPG, hospital systems, right? Yeah. I mean, you're talking about huge cultural changes in a company that may have 40,000 employees worldwide or more, right? Right. So, you know, I think what these these corporations, a lot of the corporations, and I have immense respect for what they're doing. They are trying to drive change, um, but it is hard. It's a hard problem, and it's not going to happen overnight as much as it needs to, right? Um, The other aspect that we've been paying a lot of attention to, and I know probably some of your other... Um, interviewees have mentioned is just these mega funds that are coming online, right? right? I mean, it's it astounds me. And, and it seems like at least every week, maybe once a month or so, you read about another mega fund that's getting yeah. raised. Just like, where is this money coming from, right? Yeah, well, where and is when, it coming from? And when is it going to stop, right? When does, when does the balloon 
pop or does yeah. it pop, right? Like we were just having a conversation with one of our GPs who, you know, has a thesis that the paradigm has shifted and the balloon isn't going to pop like we think it's going to, right? There's cycles, but what you're seeing now are these massive privately held companies. And, you know, we we study this as an early stage venture fund of funds, right? We're kind of in the crosshairs. Right. And I think it's good and bad, right? One of the things that we're seeing that that was a little bit of a surprise is there's so much competition at the later stages. They're buying out secondary equity, yeah. early stages, right? Right at good multiples for yep. average companies. Yep. So I mean, in that scenario, we're doing well, right? But one of the things that makes me nervous is once you get down the line to an exit strategy for the portfolio where we still have primary equity. What does that look like? And yep. there's been a lot of different theories as to what's going to happen with the market and, you know, the cyclical changes. And, you know, there's just a write-up I was reading from Manu at K9 about the potential for having a new class of private company that's traded. Yep. Traded privately. Yeah, I saw that. And regulated. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I mean, there definitely has been a paradigm shift for sure. What's going to happen with that paradigm shift and where we're going to end up, we don't know. I mean, all we can really do is hedge. And we're talking to a lot of our GPs about what what the downstream looks like for their portfolios, right? What does it mean for the big companies that you work with? Does it have an impact? I mean, and 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 I mainly ask that question through the lens of, you know, companies being able to raise huge sums of money in the private markets. Mm -hmm that can maybe do those things and invest that capital in a way that was not previously available pre SoftBank and, you know, Sequoia growth and some of these firms. It's does scary. that, yeah. Does that have an impact and worry some of the, the larger companies yeah. incumbents? Yeah. And it should. Yeah. I mean, the, the ability of some of these privately held and very well financed startups, which don't really look like startups anymore. Yeah. The ability that they have to um, maneuver within an industry is lightning speed compared to what a publicly traded, right. you know, massive corporation can do. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely scares them. They see it and they know it's there. They know it exists. And I think, you know, one of the things that is really interesting to me is what I'm hoping, and this might be optimistic, but... Um, We've seen a lot of kind of smaller tuck-ins on the acquisition side, mm -hmm. right? What I hope we start seeing, especially for some of our LPs, are these massive acquisitions that are game-changing within their industry, right? right? That hit their core business right where it needs to hit it, mm -hmm. right? I think there's huge opportunities for that to happen. Yep. We haven't seen it yet, but I think it's going to have to happen in order for our LPs to move as fast as they need to move. Mm. Um, that's a very interesting thought and we'll end there. Um, I really appreciate you both taking the time. Um, this was really fun. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was a fun experiment to do with both of you. Thank you. This podcast was created by Nick Charles and Alex Lines, partners at Notation Capital. Notation is a first check venture capital firm in New York. We work with technical founding teams in the trenches from day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Thanks to Cooley for sponsoring this episode. Cooley LLP is the global law firm for tech, life sciences, and other high growth industries. It is the world's most active venture capital law firm in forming funds and completing investments. 
At Notation, we love working with Cooley and recommend them to all the companies we work with. Learn more about the firm at Cooley.com and check out its dedicated site for startups and investors, CooleyGo.com. We'd also like to thank Silicon Valley Bank. SVB is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors. Their experts help innovators, enterprises, and investors move their bold ideas forward. Tap into the experience and connections of the SVB team for advice on strategic, operational, and tactical issues and limited partner insights. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC. If you like this episode, please share and remember to tag it with the hashtag OpenLP. We'd also like to thank Ben Glaue, who is our amazing audio engineer. You should work with him. You can find Ben on Twitter at visible underscore sound.